This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Hey, uh, ladies and gentlemen, today we are talking about Rut and Shavuot. And we're going to start right from the very beginning. The roots of Rut, if you pardon the pun. The roots of Rut. I'm coming to you live from Yerushalayim, Mirakodesh, Kodesh, with beautiful sunny skies. And lovely fireworks going on behind the scenes. Okay, but rather Shem Hashem should stop all the fireworks and bring back peace and security to all the inhabitants of Eretz Yisrael. So I'm discussing today roots and the roots of roots. The roots of roots. What are the roots of roots? Which are very interesting. And number two is what does roots have to do with Shavuot? What does roots have to do with Shavuot? So the rabbis give us a few different reasons why roots, the book of Ruth, is read on Shavuot. By the way, there are five Megillot, five books, scrolls. They're called the scrolls, five Megillot, which are read on the holidays of the Jewish calendar. So on Pesach, we read Shir Hashirim, which is the Song of Songs. On Shavuot, which is what we're talking about, we read the book of Ruth. And on Sukkot, we read Ecclesiastes. We read the book of Kohelet. As a, okay, so the Shavuot is linked to the Book of Ruth. So number one is why is Shavuot linked to the Book of Ruth? So one of the, another name for Shavuot is Hag Hakatir. It's the festival of the harvest of the wheat harvest. Pesach is the festival of the barley harvest, and Shavuot is the festival of the wheat harvest. It's interesting because uh, wheat takes a longer to grow. It's very interesting, longer to uh, ripen. And therefore, the wheat harvest is around now in Israel. It's around Shavuot. So Shavuot is linked to the harvest. And Ruth, the book of Ruth, takes place during the harvest, during the harvest season. And uh, that's how the book of uh, Ruth starts off. It was the harvest. The harvest season when Ruth comes back to Israel. Ruth comes back to Israel during the harvest season of the wheat, which is around Shavuot. That's number one. Number two. Is, it's interesting because on Shavuot, we got the Torah. We received the Torah at Har Sinai. The Torah, the rabbis tell us, starts with the story of Chesed, starts with the story of kindness, and ends with the story of kindness. The Torah is a sandwich encapsulated by two stories of kindness. It starts with a story of kindness, which is that Hashem gives clothing to Adam and Chava, to Adam and Eve, even though they sinned. And they realized they were naked. Hashem clothes them. And that is a very important idea of, of chesed, of kindness, is providing clothing for the poor. And in fact, one of the blessings every day, which we say in our morning prayer, prayers, is malbish aramim. Hashem provides clothing for the naked. All our clothes, which we take for granted, we have to realize and appreciate that Hashem gave us the ability to buy these clothes. So the Torah starts off with the act of kindness of clothing Adam and Eve, even though they sinned against him. And it ends with an act of kindness, which is the burial of Moshe Rabbeinu. Who buries Moshe Rabbeinu? It says he goes in the cave, and Hashem buries him. So wild, wild. So Hashem is, is clothing the, the naked and with Adam and Eve, and he is burying the dead with Moshe Rabbeinu. So the Torah is a book of kindness. And the book of Ruth is linked to Shavuot, because on Shavuot we got the book of kindness, and Ruth epitomizes kindness. She did kindness with the living and she did kindness with the dead. She did kindness with the living. She supported her mother-in-law, her penniless mother-in-law, Naomi, for many years. And she did kindness for the dead. 
It says she married into the family of a husband looking to keep his name alive, looking to keep her husband's name alive. His name was Bachlon to keep the name alive. We're going to talk about more about that later on. So the book of Torah starts with kindness, ends with kindness, the book of kindness. And the book of Ruth is all about the kindness of Ruth. Ruth was the epitome of chesed, of kindness. Uh, number, th- number three, Ruth's great-grandson. So Ruth's son was Obed. Obed has a son called Yishai. Jesse, Yishai has a son called David, 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 Amelech, the famous king of Israel, and uh, Judah and Israel combined. And it was his yard site. David Amelech passed away on Shavuot. His yard site is on Shavuot. And therefore, we read the book of Ruth, which is his roots. Ruth is the book of Ruth. Uh, of David Amelech, his great-grandmother's book on his yard site. How, what, where did David Amelech come from? And the answer is he came as a great-grandson to Ruth, and on his yard site, what's more appropriate than read the book of Ruth? Other people read it also, we also read the book of Tehillim, which David Amelech wrote. He compiled the book of Psalms. So that's the connection to Shavuot, is his yard site. We link it to his great-grandmother, Ruth. So we read the book of Ruth. Number four, what's the connection to Shavuot and Ruth? And the answer is on Shavuot. It's hard to comprehend, right? On Shavuot, when we got the Torah, we became Jewish. Prior to that, we were Hebrews. We were B'nai Yisrael, the sons of Israel. But we weren't Jewish. Why? Because one of the components of being a Jew is to accept the Torah. And before the Torah was given, there was no way to accept it. So at Matan Torah, we all became Jews in a sense. We all converted to Judaism in a sense. At Har Sinai, we went to the mikveh at Har Sinai. And we received the Torah. We accepted upon ourselves the yoke of the Torah. So we are like converts on Shavuot. And who was the prime convert? Who was the classic convert? And the classic convert was Ruth. Ruth, who was a Moabitess, which we're going to talk about. She converted to Judaism, which we're going to talk about. The laws of conversion are learned from the story of Ruth. More about that later. Laws of conversion are learned from the story of Ruth. So that's number four. We all converted in Mount Sinai. And we read the book of conversion of the book of Ruth on, on Shavuot. Number five, the Torah says that it was given in the Midbar of Sinai. It's interesting. What a strange place to give the Torah. Why did God choose a wilderness? Why did God, Hashem, choose the wilderness to give the Torah? The answer is to show the Torah does not belong to any specific person, any specific tribe. The Torah was given in Israel. The tribe in which portion the Torah was given would claim it and say, it's my Torah. It was given in the tribe of Judah. Judah would claim it and say, it's my Torah. Very similar to the temple, right? Is in the uh, portion of Judah. There's a big discussion, actually, in the Talmud. Does Jerusalem belong to anyone or not? And the bottom of the Rambam says also that the Jerusalem does not belong to everyone. It belo- Sorry, Jerusalem belongs to everyone. doesn't belong to a specific tribe. Anyone can come and stay anywhere you shall lie. So a guy knocks on the door and says, I'm coming over. You can't stop him. Jerusalem belongs to him. Jerusalem belongs to everyone. That's an interesting uh, Gemara and uh, Psachim. And there's a discussion, does Jerusalem belong to Judah, Benjamin, or to all the tribes? And the answer, it belongs to all the tribes, belongs to everyone. But say the Torah is given in a specific region, the people of that region would claim the Torah. So the Torah is given in the desert. It's open to whoever wants it. As we say in Purim Kavod, it's, uh, there's different crowns. The crown of priesthood was given to Aaron and his sons. Aaron, go ahead. The crown of kingship is given to David, Hamelech, and his sons. And the crown of Torah is placed in the corner. 
whoever wants the crown of Torah can take it. So it's a very big, uh, it's, it's in, like in the desert, it's Hefka. It's available to anyone who wants it. So Ruth came from nowhere, literally from nowhere, from Moab, which was an enemy state of Israel. They hated the Jews. We're going to talk about that, even though they also had the same roots as we did. They come all the way back to Terach and Abraham's brother Haran, which we're going to talk about. But they didn't get along. They didn't get along. We didn't get along with them. They didn't get along with us. And she comes from nowhere, from a midbar, from a desert, and she comes to join the Jewish people. So that's another link between Ruth and the story of Shavuot, of Matan Torah, giving of the Torah. Number six, three things are acquired through troubles, as we see today. One of them is Israel. Israel is acquired through Yisurin. The Talmud says, Shoshad Varim Miknim. Three things are acquired through troubles. Torah, Eretz Yisrael, and Olam Abba. A person who wants the Torah has to study hard, has to pay attention, has to uh, give up some sleep. I'm exhausted, but <laughs> give up some sleep to learn Torah. Have a shear right in the evening. Have a shear, it makes a person tired, and the person's got to learn Torah, and it makes a person tired, and it's troubles, and they're going to give up some financial uh, rewards, go sacrifice a little bit to go and learn Torah. It's one of the things we sacrifice for. It takes a lot of perspiration to learn Torah. That's number one. Torah, Eretz Israel, as we can see right now. There's a war going on in the background. And in this beautiful weather, this beautiful Yerushalayim weather, it's gorgeous. And there's a war going on. And Bezrash Hashem Spring should be a speedily uh, victorious close as soon as possible. Bezrash Hashem, before Shavuot, we should see uh, peace uh, back in this country. Uh, before Shavuot, a lasting peace this time. And Hashem should bring to peace, but it's uh, Israel is acquired through trouble. Look how much trouble there's been in the last we had this country in '48. So it's been 73 years, and 73 years punctuated by many wars and many rebellions and many rockets and other things. So it's one of the things which is acquired through troubles, unfortunately. And lastly, Olamaba, person wants to get to the next world, got to sacrifice this world, parts of this world. So it's uh, three things acquired with uh, troubles. Interesting, nothing worthwhile is acquired with no trouble. Everything which is worthwhile has to have some kind of trouble associated with it. And the more a person's troubled by them, the more they appreciate them. A person who gets things for free does not appreciate. A person who's troubled to get them will appreciate what they have. So these are three things that, anyway, that's what we learn from here. Root, tremendous trouble, agony. She came from far away. Her husband died. She followed Naomi penniless, walking all the way back to Israel. And she is a stranger in Israel. She has no relatives, only Naomi. Her closest relatives not even related properly. And uh, she survives. And she puts in the efforts and she converts to Judaism. So that's effort, troubles, three things are acquired with troubles. And one of them is Torah, which is Shavuot. And Israel, the book of Ruth, about coming back to Israel. So we have to all come back to Israel. If Ruth can do it, Every Jew around the world can do it as well, come back to Israel. So those are the links. So six different linkages between Shavuot and Ruth. Let's just recap very quickly. Number one, Shavuot took place in the harvest season of wheat. In the, root, the story of Ruth takes place in the harvest season of wheat. Um, the book of Ruth is all about kindness. Ruth was the epitome of kindness. The Torah starts with an act of kindness. Hashem provides clothing for Adam and Chava. And Hashem buries at the end of the Torah, buries Moshe Rabbeinu. And that's the final act of kindness in the Torah. And Ruth epitomizes Torah. So the Torah and Ruth are linked with the acts of kindness. Number three, David Amelech. 
the great-grandson of Ruth, passed away on Shavuot, there's a Shabbat and Shavuot, and uh, therefore her, his yard side is marked by reading about his great-grandmother, the roots of David Melech. And uh, number four, we all converted at Sinai, hard to remember. We all, all Jewish people are converts at Har Sinai. We accepted the Torah, which is a fundamental part of being Jewish. Prior to that, we were B'nai Israel. We were Hebrews. We were Ivri. We were Ivrim, but we, we weren't Jews yet. In the classic sense, we became, we all became Jewish at Har Sinai. We converted, we accepted the Torah, went through the mikvah at Sinai, and we, had, uh, we accepted the Torah. And that is when we converted. And the book of Ruth is all about conversion. And we are converts at Har Sinai. So that's the connection between Ruth and Shavuot. Uh, number five, the Torah was given in the desert, so no one can claim it. And so anyone who wants the Torah, someone like Ruth, who really wants the Torah, can come and take the Torah, can come and accept the Torah. Number six, three things are required through troubles. Torah, Eretz Israel, and Olam Abba. Ruth wanted Torah, and she wanted Eretz Israel, and she wanted Olam Abba. So she is linked to Shavuot. Shavuot is when we accept the Torah. We accept the Torah through troubles, through learning, through studying, through sitting, through paying attention. Uh, in fact, pretty careful, the last chapter, six, number six, lists 48 different qualities to be able to learn Torah, 48 different qualities. It's good to learn. We're going to learn this uh, parak, uh, this Shabbat, the sixth chapter on the sixth week between Pesach and Shabbat, the Shabbat. We're going to learn the sixth chapter of Pirkei Avot, which is all about the 48 different ways to acquire Torah. And that's the book of Ruth. It's all about acquiring Torah. Okay, we are now going back. Now, second uh, of our topics about Ruth is the roots of roots. What are the roots of Ruth? Where did she come from? What is her background? As I mentioned before, Ruth is a direct descendant of Terach. We're all descendants of Terach. As we say in our Haggadah, Terach avi Abraham vavi Nahor. Terach was the father of Abraham, Abraham, and he was also the father of Nahor. But he misses out over there. The Haggadah misses out the third son. Terach had three sons, Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Haran is the third son. He's not mentioned in the Haggadah. And the reason why he wasn't mentioned in the Haggadah was because he died. Haran died in Ur Kasdim. Not everyone knows the Midrash, the famous Midrash, which is also brought down by the Rambam. Now, the Rambam doesn't normally bring down Midrash, but he does bring down this Midrash about the early years of Abraham Avinu. Amazing. One of the few Midrashim that Rambam brings down about the early years of Abraham Avinu, how Abraham Avinu uh, believed, got to believe in, in Hashem, one God, invisible, all-powerful God, great everything, at a very early age, Abraham Avinu got to this belief through his own knowledge, through his own understanding, through his own intellectual prowess. And he started spreading the message. He didn't just sit back and say, I believe in God. I don't care about everyone else like Noah. He said, if I believe in God and I know there's a God, I'm going to spread this message to the world. The first missionary, Abraham Avinu was the first successful missionary that we know about. Abraham Avinu was the very first successful missionary. The Rambam writes, he wrote many books he held many gatherings of thousands of people and he told, talked to them about God. And at that time, there was a king called Nimrod who was himself. He, he, he pretended to be God himself. He did not believe in any other God. And he told Abraham, you have two choices. Either I throw you in the fiery furnace. If you believe in God, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. Or you can renounce God right now and accept the idolatries. Abraham says, no, I believe in God. God, God is the greatest and uh, Nimrod threw him in the fiery furnace, and a miracle happened, and Abraham comes out without being singed even. 
So Nimrod turns to Abraham's brother, Haran, says, Haran, what do you believe in? Haran says, well, if Abraham is saved, I'm all, I also believe in God. So he got thrown into the fiery furnace, but since his belief was not 100%, his emunah, his trust in God, his knowledge of God was not 100%, he was not saved. Haran died in the fire which was prepared for Abraham. Abraham survived and Haran died. And the family moved back to Haran and eventually to Canaan, to a place called Canaan, which we have to talk about as well. So Haran dies in Ur-Kasdim, and he's survived by his two brothers, Nahor and Abraham, and his three children. His three children, he had one son and two daughters, Lot, who follows Abraham to Canaan, eventually, and Yiska and Milka. Now, Yiska and Milka, lovely names. Yiska, the rabbis say, was no other than Sarah. Yiska was Sarah. Yiska means to draw. Um, to draw water or draw Ruach HaKodesh. Yiska had Ruach HaKodesh. She was called Yiska. Her real name was Sarai or eventually Sarah. Sarah marries Abraham and Milka, the other daughter of Haran, marries Nahor, the other brother. So two nieces married two uncles. That was very common in those days, but especially since their, their father died and there's no one to look after them. So who looks after them? Their uncles. Uncle Abraham marries Sarah and Uncle Nahor marries Milka. And eventually the families that they have eventually uh, marry among themselves because the granddaughter of Milka is no other than the Rivka and the grand, uh, the son of the son of Yiska Sarah is Yitzhak. And Yitzhak and Milka's granddaughter Rivka eventually marry. Anyway, what's that good with Ruth? And the answer is who is the ancestor of Ruth? And the answer is the son of Haran, Lot. Lot is the ancestor of Ruth. Now, Lot was an interesting character. His father, Haran, was wavering. He was always wavering. Do I believe in God? I don't believe in God. I believe in God. I believe in idols. I'm not sure what to do. Eventually, he gets thrown in the furnace and dies, perishes. But Lot also exhibits the same quality. He flip-flops. He believes in God. He wants to go with Abraham to the promised land. He goes and he's eventually he goes with Abraham to Egypt and eventually comes back to Israel with Abraham and eventually gets very wealthy. When he gets very wealthy, he starts fighting. It says the shepherds of Lot fight with the shepherds of Abraham about pasture. And Lot eventually leaves Abraham and moves to no other than Sodom, the worst immoral place, one of the worst immoral places in the world. Who moves to Saddam, the worst, one of the most worst immoral places in the world, locked from being a follower of Abraham, from being a follower of ethical monotheism, he moves to Saddam. Why? The rabbis say he saw the green, the green pastures. You know, in Israel, uh, one of the slangs of uh, US dollars is called the green. Well, the greenback, it's called the greenback. So in Israel, there's a word term, yarok, green, referring to the slang for US dollars. Lot saw the green, he loved money. Lot loved money more than anything else. He loved money, but he also loved having guests. He having he having hachnasat orchim, having guests, which he learned from Abraham. And he continued even in Sodom, at the risk of his life. He had two guests. He didn't know they were angels. That act of kindness, which he did to the two guests, saved his life in Sodom. But Lot was always this kind of person who was flip-flopping. I believe in God. I believe in ethics. I don't believe in ethics. I, I, I want to live with the Saddam because I like the money. I'm not sure what to do. He, 
He lost his way. Lot was very much like his father, wishy-washy. Unlike his daughter, Sarah. It's interesting. Haran's daughter, Sarah, we're descended from Haran, through his daughter, Sarah. And Sarah was very firm. Sarah was amazing. Her emunah was amazing. Her belief in God was amazing. You know, whereas her brother Lot was wavering, Sarah never wavered. We don't find Sarah wavering. Milka had a sister who turned to idolatry. Milka was the wife of Nahor, the other brother of Abraham. And Nahor was an idolater, just like his father Terah. So it's interesting. His family, Haran's family, you had Sarah, all for God. You had Lot halfway, and you had Milka, who was an idolater. So they had all three variations of Haran. Three variations of Haran, one extreme to another. And that's why it's important that parents do not flip-flop. The parents do not waver in their beliefs, because eventually it will come out in their children. Some will, some won't. Some will believe, some won't believe. Very important to be very firm in one's belief system and pass down our belief in Hashem completely, totally to our children. Um, and not create food flocks. Okay, so that is one of the, the roots of of uh, of, uh, of Ruth, and uh, so it comes from Lot, and Lot eventually gets saved from Sodom with his two daughters. And here we come to a very tragic, strange story, extremely strange story, that Lot is left alone with his two daughters. They really, truly believe the whole world was destroyed in this massive... Uh, a hailstorm of fire from heaven. Massive hailstorm. I mean, if you go to the Dead Sea area, the reason why it's called the Dead Sea, it's according to our tradition, is because of the story of Saddam. Saddam was by the Dead Sea. And in those days, the Dead Sea was a live sea. It was a beautiful, clear, uh, pure water sea. And uh, that's why the, the grass was growing around the, the living sea at that time. And after what happened to Saddam, Hashem... Uh, Potash fell down from heaven. All the chemicals fell down. The Dead Sea is full of chemicals, which is also good for us because Israel exports a lot of these chemicals from the Dead Sea, Dead Sea complement. And also the chemicals are going to all the Dead Sea uh, potions for women's skin, for skin, uh, skin problems uh, and uh, uh, effervescent skin, Dead Sea products. All from the Dead Sea, all these uh, chemicals that fell into the Dead Sea when Hashem destroyed Sodom. Sodom and Amorah. And Lot and his two daughters survived because of the prayers of Abraham and they survived and they really thought that they were the only ones left. So one daughter, the elder daughter turned to the younger daughter and said, let's, let's give our father some wine and I'll sleep with him the first night to have more children and bring children to the world. And then you make him drunk the second night, you sleep with him the second night and have children. And the first one called her son Moab, which means from my father, she had no shame, the rabbi said, Moab, she was shameless. And uh, the second daughter called her son Amon, my people, our people. So much, much nicer, much nicer name. Anyway, Ruth comes from Moab. Ruth comes from this, um, this union between Lot and his daughter, which uh, the rabbis say was purely, the daughter did it purely the Shem Shamayim. She had no ulterior motives. She wanted to do God's work of Ruth having children to keep the world going. Interesting. So she did an Avirah, she did a sin for the sake of a mitzvah. And from that, a messianic line is going to be created. From that, thoughts of a mitzvah, a messianic line is going to be created, which is going through Moab and eventually coming out with Ruth, who becomes the forebearer of the messianic line of David HaMelech. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Why? Because these two daughters had kavanot, they had intentions for the, for the sake of heaven. So important. 
this uh, kavanah for the sake of heaven, brought her, the mother, and, uh, and Lot, a, a little seed, which is going to be the, the forerunner of Mashiach. Amazing. Ruth is the forerunner of Mashiach. She comes from Moab, which is from my father, means from my father, the descendant of Lot. Amazing, amazing story. Now, it's interesting because Lot was saved twice by Abraham. Lot was saved once because it says he was captured by the four kings when they made a war on the five kings. You've got to read the story in the, the Torah um, and the stories about Abraham that Abraham saved Lot from the four kings, made a war. He fought a war with very few followers, and it's a miracle. He fought a world war with these four great kings who just smashed five great kings. And here's Abraham coming along with his little army and, and uh, fighting them and beating them and taking back the Lot, saving Lot from that. So Lot owes Abraham big time for that. Number two is Lot owed Abraham for praying to save Saddam, because in that merit of the prayers, at least Lot and his two daughters were saved. So instead of Moab being grateful to the Jewish people, we find later on, when the Jewish people come out of Egypt and Moab, they're coming via Moab. They want to come through Moab. Moab says, we're not going to let you through our land. We're not going to let you walk through our land. And Moshe says, please, we'll just walk on the highway. We'll pay you for everything. Don't worry. And Moab says, don't you dare come close to our land. And Moab comes out to attack the Jewish people. So that's, and they find they're not going to attack the Jewish people physically. What they do, they hire this prophet, this false prophet called Bilam to come and curse the Jewish people. So here this this nation, Moab, which should have been grateful to us, the descendants of Abraham who saved them twice, instead of which they have no gratitude. You know, the worst thing, one of the worst midot character traits is lack of gratitude. One of the worst character traits for anyone is lack of gratitude. Got to, you know, it's very hard to always be grateful to someone who did good for you. Most people don't, don't like to be grateful to other, other people. Why? Because then it shows like they owe them a debt and they feel like uncomfortable. It's bad for the ego. I owe you a debt. I don't owe you anything. You know, I owe you nothing. So that is a big problem. And that is the problem was called kafui tova. That's the problem of what's called a person who does not uh, give any, any uh, acknowledgement to people who did them favors. A person does not acknowledge favors. A person does not acknowledge the person. We have to thank simply some people. First and foremost, Hashem. And number two is our parents. Nonstop, we have to thank our parents, the gratitude to our parents. Uh, who brought us into this world, who provided for us for many years, looked after us for many years, and other people who helped us in our lives. We have to have gratitude. It's important. Attitude of gratitude. A person has to build up this attitude of gratitude. Thank you so much for what you did for me. Thank you so much for helping me. Thank you so much. Um, and I'm saying this now to every one of you who helped me, helped the shul. Uh, thank you so much. It's an attitude of gratitude. We have to appreciate what other people do for us. That is a very important concept, and Moab did not have that. It says when, it says when the Jews needed food and water, the Moabites did not give them food and water. So it's a shame, tragedy. Moabites did not give us bread and water, and therefore the Torah says we are not allowed to accept converts from the Moabites. We are not allowed to accept any converts from the Moabites. We can accept converts even from the Egyptians, who could have killed us, but we're not allowed. Rambam says we can even accept converts from Amalek. It's been a big question now. Rambam says you can't accept converts from Amalek. All they have to do is do Teshuvah. Whereas from Moab, we're never allowed to accept converts. Why? Because they have this bad trait. The bad trait of not ever repaying a kindness. They're ungrateful, totally ungrateful people. They would not bring us food and water. They are not. They're anti-hospitality. 
And that's the reason why we're not allowed to marry into Moab. Moab, we're not allowed to convert. However, in the time of Ruth, there was a bit of a revolution. The head of the Sanhedrin at the time of Ruth was a guy called Boaz. I don't know if you know about it. Boaz literally means Boaz. Inside him is strength. As is strength, Boaz means inside him. He was a man of strength. What does that mean, a man of strength? In other words, he was the head of the Sanhedrin who was prepared to make a revolutionary law. What was the revolutionary law? Obviously, he had a, had a tradition, but he was prepared to act on that tradition. What was the tradition? The tradition was when the Torah says you're not allowed to convert Moabites, it's talking about only the men. Why? Because the Torah gives a reason. The reason why you're not allowed to convert and marry Moabite is because they did not give you bread and water when you came out of Egypt. The Moabites did not bring us bread and water. And Boaz, full of strength and vigor, says, you know what? It wasn't the women's job to bring the bread and water. Those days, especially women stayed in the tent. It was the men's job to bring the bread and water. And therefore, only the men cannot convert. The women can't convert. You know what? That law changed our destiny. Why? Because without that law, Ruth could not have converted. And she would never marry Boaz. She'd never have a child. And never have the line of David and Melech. And who knows what would happen to the Messianic line. So because he was strong enough to feel that he was right in that law and he could change the law and say, you know what? Moabite women can convert, Moabite men cannot convert. It wasn't the job of the women to take the food out to the Jews in the desert. It was the job of the men and therefore the men are not allowed to convert, but the women are allowed to convert. Anyway, a little bit of background about Ruth. We went back all the way to Lot. Lot had a son called Moab. And Moab has a descendant called Balak. Balak is the king of Moab at the time of Moshe Rabbeinu. Balak hires in Parsha. Balak he has even a Parsha named after him. You know, I wish I had a Parsha named after me. But Balak somehow, who is this Moabite king who wants to curse the Jews, so hires Moab, who hires Bilam to curse the Jews, has a whole Parsha named after him. And one of the mysteries of the Torah, why does it name Parshot after these evil people like Korach? And Balak, and I think there's a common thread over here. Number one is Moab. Uh, Balak had a descendant called Ruth. And since he had a good descendant, he must have done something good. And Korach had a very good descendant called Shmuel Hanavi. And therefore, it must have done something good. And therefore, there's Parashot named after that. There's a common thread that they had good descendants. They had Sadikim as descendants. So the question we have is, why did Balak, what did Balak do? They got him such a quality descendant, Ruth, the Moabite, and eventually David and Melech, the Messianic line is coming from Balak. Why? What did he do? What mitzvah did he do? And here we have a very strange concept. It says, in order to, to curse the Jews, Bilam tells Balak, build me an altar. And eventually Balak builds Bilam seven altars to Hashem. Seven altars to Hashem. And on each altar, he offered seven sacrifices. Balak is paying and doing this for Bilam to curse the Jews, to build altars in God's name, to curse the Jewish people. And yet, since he did a mitzvah, again, for the wrong reasons, he did a mitzvah. He built an altar and offered offerings to God. Hashem gives him a great, great granddaughter called Ruth. And the Messianic line of David and comes from his progeny. Amazing, amazing. This idea that nothing is lost. Even a smallest mitzvah a person does can lead to tremendous good consequences for that person and their progeny. Even a smallest avirah, 
with the right reason, like the daughters of, of Lord, for the right reasons, for the mitzvah reasons, can bring a person tremendous reward and bring the progeny a tremendous reward and can build a whole line of messianic line. Amazing concept. Balak has roots. The next in line was this king, Eglon. Eglon, another king of Moab who caused tremendous agony to the Jewish people much later when they're living in the land of Israel. Eglon always attacked them. Eglon always persecuted them until we had one of our judges, Shoftim, one of the Shoftim, was a guy called Ehud. This is where okay, Havdin, Ehud Barak got his name from, Ehud. Ehud, he was called Ehud the left-handed, the lefty. Ehud the lefty, was Ehud the lefty, he was left-handed. What bearing does that have on our story? It says he goes to see the king of Moab, Eglon. And uh, Eglon was a very fat individual, he was very, very overweight. And Eglon and Ehud took with him a sword, took with him a dagger, probably a very long dagger, and he hid it on his right side of his thigh, on his right side. Now, in those days, when he went inside the royalty, obviously the guards would check you. Where would they check you? They would check you for weapons on your left side, because most people were righties, and the righty would grab his uh, sword or dagger from his left side. They didn't check his right side. They didn't check Ehud's right side. They never knew he was a lefty. They never thought about lefties. And Ehud goes in with a big dagger. The other problem is, he says, Eglon, I need to speak to you in private. I have a message to you from God. Eglon says, from God? Wow, that must be important. He tells all his people to leave the room. No guards. And he stands up because he heard the name of God. And then Ehud kills him. But because he stood up, when he heard the name of God, it says, in fact, Ashkenazim, they stand up when they hear God, God's name. They say, Baruchu, Et Hashem Mevorach. They all stand up and say, Baruch Hashem Mevorach. They heard God's name. They stand up. They learn the law from Eglon, King of Moab. And because of this, the rabbis say, he got this great granddaughter. He said his daughter was Ruth. The daughter of Eglon, King of Moab, was Ruth. He got this daughter because he showed, he showed tremendous respect when he heard God's name. Amazing, amazing story. And again, another mitzvah which he does, even though he... He persecuted the Jews, but he did one mitzvah. He gets this messianic line. Amazing concept. Never look down even on one mitzvah. If you have an opportunity, one mitzvah, grab that mitzvah because you don't know what the reward for that mitzvah is. Amazing. So we talked about the roots of root. But now what happened? So now we come back to the Jewish side of the story. Root's husband's side. You know, it's interesting. There was a famous man. His name was Elimelech. Elimelech was the judge, one of the judges of Israel, one of the judges of Israel, very wealthy individual, has this beautiful wife called Naomi, and he has two sons. Now, the only problem with this story is the names he gave them. Now, I'm not sure if he gave them these names, because these names are so atrocious. These names are so disgusting names. I don't think they were the names. I think they were the nicknames that people gave these two sons. All the names of these two sons, Machlon, which comes from the word Machala. Machala means a sickness. Imagine naming your son a sickness. I don't know if that was his real name, but I think it was a nickname later on. Machlon. And the second name is even worse, Chilion. Chilion means, Chiliao means destruction. He gave his two sons names. I don't know he gave them the names. Someone else gave them the names. The Torah says he gave them the names. Machlon and Chilion, which means sickness and destruction. I think they were just, they were just destined for this. Those were destiny names. They weren't the real names. They were the destiny names that the Torah gives them later on when they died. So Machlon is sickness. But Machlon is not destruction. Why? Because Machlon eventually survives somehow. He doesn't survive himself, 
but his progeny through his wife Ruth. It's a very strange story. It's like a, uh, it's a play on, on the Yibum idea, this idea of Yibum that when a person dies, the brother marries his wife and brings children in the name of his dead brother. So here too, the, the man died, who brings children? His nearest relatives brings children marrying his wife. So Boaz is one of his nearer relatives, marries his wife Ruth, who is determined to bring a child in memory of Machlon to keep Machlon's memory alive. And that's what happened. So Machlon was sick, but he wasn't completely destroyed. Whereas Chilion was totally destroyed. Why? Because his wife Orpa, but Orpa comes with the neck, the back of one's neck is the Oref. We talk about Masha Ben says the Jews are Am Kashi Oref, the stiff necked people. The Oref is a sign that Orpa left her mother in law. And turned her back to her. She turned the back of her neck to her. She's called Orpa Neck, the back of one's neck. Stiff neck. Orpa was stiff neck. She left Naomi. We're going to talk about that very shortly, but we'll see that it's a strange lineage from Haran, Lot, um, Balak, Eglon, Ruth. Very strange lineage, but there's a common factor going through them that there was some mitzvah that these people did that warranted for them to have this. Very special girl, uh, Moabite girl, Ruth, the Moabite. I don't think that was her original name. The, what's the source of her name, Ruth? So there's two sources I know of. One of them is a very simple one, very beautiful one. The gematria of the word Ruth, Resh, is 200. Vav is 6, and Taf is 400. So 400 and 206 is 606. The gematria of the word Ruth is 606. The rabbis say, add this to the previous seven Noahide commandments she kept, and you get 613 mitzvot. Ruth, from before keeping seven mitzvot, but Noah started keeping 606 extra, which is the gematria of her name, and she now keeps 613 mitzvot. She is now a fully fledged Jew. So that's what the word Ruth, gematria is 606 plus seven is 613 mitzvot. She keeps 630 mitzvot. The other hint to the word Ruth is if you look at the letter Resh Vav, which is the root of the word root, Resh Vav is the root of the word Revaya. David Amel says, we say every Friday night, Psalm 23, Kosi uh, Revaya, my cup will overflow. Ruth was overflowing with kindness. She was a person who was overflowing with the love of God, love of people, kindness. She was an overflowing, effervescent, an effervescent personality. Ruth was an effervescent personality which is where the word root, revaya, kosi um, revaya, that's the second meaning of the word root, interesting meaning of the word root. So root came out, unlike her ancestors, wishy-washy, she came out like Sarah, the daughter of Haran. Here's another daughter of Haran, Sarah Haran. Root came out very strong. We're going to talk about uh, root and the story of how she converted, which is very, very, extremely interesting. I'm going to go now to the book of root. And uh, we talked about Elimelech. What happens is the famine in the land of Israel and Elimelech and Naomi, well, Elimelech basically decided to move to the land of Moab. This is fascinating. Why would he move to Moab? Moab were the enemy. But apparently there was no famine in Moab. The famine was only in the, in the tribe of Judah. He could have moved to another Jewish tribe. No, he moves to Moab, a non-Jewish country. And his two sons take non-Jewish wives Happened to be princesses, Ruth and Orpah were sisters, daughters of the four, former king Eglon. Very strange. Uh, these were very rich people. 
Elimelech was very wealthy. He didn't want to give the poor. The rabbis say he ran away not to give to the poor. He ran away with all his wealth in order not to give to the poor. They were in Moab for 10 years in troubles. Elimelech dies. And very soon after, his two sons, Machlon and Chilion, die as well. And Naomi is left bereft of her husband, the wealth, and her two sons. She's left bereft. She's a widow with nothing. Basically left with nothing in Chutzlaret, in Moab. And now she yearns to go back to her homeland, go back to Yehuda, go back to the town of Bet Lechem. Uh, the, the house of bread, that was where all the grain in Judea would grow in Bethlehem. It's called the house of bread. It was really a, a very fantastic farmland. I don't, know, not, don't think it is today, but it was a place where apparently the wheat would grow in tremendous quantity. Anyway, so what happens now, Naomi is left with her two former daughter-in-laws, uh, Ruth and Orpah. And so, so Elimelech is Punished tremendously, dies. His two sons also punished. Why did they go back to Israel? They ran away, left the poor people. They didn't want to support them. And now Naomi hears there is food in Israel. The Jews are doing very well. I want to go back. So now what? The story says, Book of Ruth, and the woman was left of her two children and her husband. She was left alone. And she's a remnant. She is a remnant. Just like today, we are called Sherit Hapleta. All the Jews today in the world are called a remnant, a small remnant. Uh, today, there should be in the world 200 million Jews, at least, at least 200 million Jews. If there, were, there were 7 million Jews at the heights of the Roman Empire, and they were half of them were killed. 4 million Jews survived approximately. For the 4 million Jews, that was uh, nearly uh, 5% of the Roman Empire. It should be 5% of the world. I don't know how much works that. I'm not an accountant. So uh, 7 billion people, 5% of 7 billion, anyone over there? 5% of 7 billion should be hundreds of millions of people today called Jews. And they're not. There's only 14 million or so. So uh, we are the Sherita Plata, just like Naomi was the leftover of this family. We are the leftover of the Jewish people. And Hashem should bless us and increase us and make us as many as we were before in peace and security. Amen. So Ruth, so Naomi wants to go back to her country. Naomi is interesting. The word Naomi means from the word Noam, which is pleasant. Naomi was a very pleasant person. Now, that is a midah. It's a very important character trait to be a nice person, a very pleasant person. She had this attraction, attractive abilities. She could attract people around her, like honey attracts, I don't want to say bees, but she could attract people around her. She was also a kind of missionary. She would be sweet and everyone was attracted to her personality. Her two daughter-in-laws were so attracted to her personality. They didn't want to leave her even after the husbands died. And what happens is she wants to go back to Israel, to the land of uh, Bethlehem, to the town of Bethlehem. And she gets up with her daughter-in-laws and uh, daughter-in-laws and she tells her, I want to go back to the land. I want to go back to my country. I want to go back to my people. So uh, what happens is uh, it says straight away that the two daughters start crying. They start crying and uh, and they say, no, we're not going to leave you. We will not leave you by yourself. We will come back with you. So the question is, why did they want to come back? Did they want to come back because out of pity of this old lady who had nothing, the mother of their late husbands, 
why didn't they try and persuade her to go back to Moab? Why didn't they try and tell her, listen, we'll go back to Moab, we'll work for you, we'll look after you, what's the problem? So then, no, we'll come back with you, they tell her. And uh, this is a little bit of chesed, they want to do chesed, they want to look after you. They want to come back, they want to be Jewish as well. Orpa and Ruth were drawn towards her like planets gravitating towards the sun. So the Zohar discusses whether Orpa and Ruth had been converted prior to their being married or not. So it seems like the Zohar wants to say they were converted. How could Mahlon and Kilion, the sons of a former judge, marry non-Jewish women? Obviously, they converted the, them first. However, these conversions were not with the best intentions. They were conversions for the sake of marriage. There's other opinions that say, no, they were not converted. And now Naomi is going to convert Ruth. Naomi is going to convert Ruth. But they saw how Jewish households were conducted. And they became educated in their practices just by being around Naomi. They saw Naomi, this uh, Jewish mother, how she cooked and how she cleaned and how she kept Shabbat. And they, and they knew all these Jewish laws. And they, and they, uh, so they knew about Judaism through her. And she went forth, it says, she went forth at the place where she was and her two daughter-in-laws with her. And they went on their way to return to the land of Judah, which is where she came from. And that's when the daughter-in-laws become her two daughter-in-laws. What happened over here? Before the Torah calls them her daughter-in-laws, now the, the Torah calls her her two daughter-in-laws. Now we see that there's a difference of opinion between Ruth and her sister Orpa. They're two separate. Before they had one mind, and now they're in two minds. Now they're called the two daughter-in-laws. And she tells them, go back to your mother's house and let Hashem be with you as you have dealt kindly with me and with the dead. Hashem should grant you what you find rest, each of you in the house of your husband. In other words, I bless you, you should get married again, find our husband. And she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and they cried. They both started crying. So three women standing by the side of the road, they had suffered their sorrow in common. Now Naomi tells them to go back and they answer, they tell her, we will go back with you to your people. That's what they both told her. And uh, she says to them, she replies, go back, my daughters. Why will you come with me? Do I have more children to offer you? Go away, my daughters, please go back. I'm old. I cannot have any more children. There's no more Yibum idea and go back to your people and find new husbands. So what happens? They raised their voices and they wept again, exceedingly, tremendous crying going on. They raised their voices and they cried. And what happens is, Orpa kisses her mother-in-law, and Ruth, Ruth clung to her mother-in-law. It's between kissing and leaving, and clinging and not kissing. It's interesting. Uh, this is a wedding uh, drasha right here. There's two ways of marriage. One is a person kisses his wife and says, God, bye, dear. And the other guy says, I'm not leaving you. I'm clinging to you. Or the woman says to her husband, I'm clinging to you. And uh, that's what marriage today is all about. Today, marriage is not a, it's about kissing and leaving. But it should be about clinging, commitment, solid commitment to the end. That's you know, I've seen, I've seen in, my, in my life, I've seen two great marriages. One marriage was in Vancouver where a woman 
she had you know, some kind of muscular dystrophy and the husband looked after her right to the end and he loved her so much. He did everything for her. He would even change her diapers. He looked after her, the love of his life. Amazing, amazing. I've never seen so much love. And then in Highland Park, uh, everyone who knows Jack and Bailey Ozil, how they've walked together at the age of 80, married after 50 years of marriage, hand in hand, and love of his life. He would always talk about her love of his life. And she, she used to say his, he was the love of her life. Tremendous love. That's clinging. Clinging is what we need today. We need more clinging, less kissing, and more clinging. Let's cling to each other. So it says, Orpa kissed, uh, kissed her left. That's Orpa. She gave her a back, the back of her neck. Orpa means the back of one's neck. She gave her the back. It says, Orpa was the mother of Goliath, Goliath. And Ruth was the great-grandmother of David. It's interesting how their progeny again meet. David against Goliath, one of the famous stories of the Bible. And here we have the origins of the story. Orpa, who was uh, the wife of, of Chilion, which means destruction, eventually has this Goliath, again, pure destruction. And Ruth, which is uh, the 606 myth, additional mitzvot she took upon herself, the cup was overflowing, effervescent, full of spiritualities, full of kindness. She has a great grandson called David and eventually meet terribly. We see the difference between the two. One goes this way, one goes that way. Two sisters. Unfortunately, we see this today. Many children from the same parents, they choose their different paths. Relatives, close relatives, even twins. One goes this way, one goes that way. Two different paths in life. All depends on our free choice. And that's what the Torah is teaching us. So Orpa uses a free choice. She goes back to her people and she has a child called Goliath. And Ruth goes back to the Jewish people. She, going, she gets converted. She marries Boaz, who was a judge of that generation. And she has these Sadiqim as children and eventually the Messianic line. So, uh, so Naomi turns to Ruth and she says, your sister-in-law has left, gone back. Why don't you go back as well after your sister-in-law? And this is, this is famous. This is a famous line. This is where we learn the laws of conversion from this part of the story. I want to read these beautiful lines. And Ruth said, please don't ask me to leave you anymore. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord will do unto me much more also. Only thing that will part us is death. Please don't ask me to leave you anymore. So we learn over here, tremendous laws of conversion is after a time, you have to tell the convert, potential convert to leave three times. But after you see this struggling and wanting to continue, you don't have to tell them to leave anymore. That's number one. Number two, wherever you go, I will go. I accept upon myself the laws of Shabbat. You know, in Shabbat, there's a certain amount of distance. You can only walk outside town. It's 2,000 amot, which is about 3,000 feet. Outside town where there's no houses and there's just fields, you can only walk 3,000 feet outside town on Shabbat. That's called Tachum Shabbat. Wherever you live, I will live. I, I accept upon myself the laws of Yehud, that a woman should not be alone with a man. So wherever you go, I will make sure that I will go on Shabbat. I'll go up to you where you go. Wherever you live and you're careful about the laws of Yehud, I'll also be the case, careful about the laws of Yehud. Your people will be my people, except for myself, the destiny of the Jewish people. You know, it's so hard to be a Jew. Why? Because everyone wants to kill you. So <laughs> a convert, I mean, a convert takes upon themselves to join the destiny of the Jewish people. 
which is look at look what's going on today. They want to kill us. The, wherever you go, they want to kill us. The media is against us. The United Nations against us. Everyone's against us. To be a Jew is to be one against billions. To be one against billions today. And it's so hard to be a Jew. That's the reason why it's hard to be a Jew. The blessing is that, you know, we're the chosen people. The chosen people, eventually things will be good. The Mashiach will come. Mashiach will make us, uh, the, all the promises of the Torah will come true. All the miracles will come true. Your God will be my God. Obviously, one of the most important things is a convert believes in the true God. Believes in one God, invisible God, all-powerful God. That we believe in Yudkevavke. Where you die, I will die. I, I accept upon myself the laws of Jewish burial. There's no cremation. There's no hanky-panky. It's just pure burial in the ground. You know, more and more people are today choosing cremation. Uh, number one, it's very cheap. And people think it's good for the environment, but they don't realize the bones. It takes a lot of temperature to burn them. They don't actually burn the bones of a person. They actually grind them down to dust because it's impossible to burn the bones of a person. It takes a tremendous amount of heat and energy to burn them, but it's not good for the environment. Cremation is not good for the environment. Burial is good for the environment. Why? Because the body melts back into the source of the body. Ashes to ashes and dust to dust, literally dust to dust. So it's very important we accept upon this ourselves this mitzvah. I talk to my brethren, whoever hears this class, please, if you know a relative who's cremating, tell them it's forbidden and talk to them, persuade them not to cremate. It's very, very important. We learn from the book of Ruth, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. I accept upon myself all the customs of Jewish burial. And nothing will part from us except death. Please don't ask me again. So she committed herself to all the basic mitzvot of the Torah, all the basic heavy-duty mitzvot of the Torah, and a few small ones, and that's enough to tell a potential convert, teach them a few of the big ones, a few of the small ones, and that's enough for a potential convert. Amazing. Anyway, so Ruth comes back with Naomi. Ruth collects collects. Uh, Leket and Shikha and Peah, all the gifts to the poor, which a person has to leave in the field to provide for Naomi. That's the kindness she does to Naomi. Uh, tremendous kindness. And that's one of the links to the Torah we said is Ruth's kindness. That's, this poor Naomi comes back penniless and Ruth is supporting her mother-in-law knowing that she cannot give her anything back in return. And where does she go? She goes to a certain field who happens to be a relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech, his name was Boaz. And she says, Boaz, I want you to be the redeemer. In those days, a person had a field, and they got poor, they would sell the field. But the close relatives had a right to redeem the field back, to buy it back from the person who bought it. And uh, you're the redeemer, come and redeem the field, but I want to marry the redeemer. Ruth says, I want to be the married to the redeemer. You can, you're the closest, you're the second closest redeemer. But there's another relative, and the Torah does not even give his name. His name, they give him as a Ploni Almoni, which means John Doe. Ploni Almoni, John Doe. Uh, the reason why he doesn't want to say, mention his name because he refused to marry Ruth. He says, listen, she's a convert. From Moab, not less. And maybe the law is not even a female convert from Moab can come in. I don't want to ruin my inheritance by marrying her. Take this risk, the spiritual risk. And therefore, I refuse to marry her and redeem the land. So Boaz buys, acquires the rights to marry Ruth and acquires the rights to redeem the land of Naomi. And that's what happens. And Boaz marries Ruth and he blesses her. But Hashem should reward you for all your kindnesses to the dead and to the living. To your, to your dead husband, because you want to raise a child in his memory. 
and to the living that you keep your mother-in-law alive, you provide for your mother-in-law. And uh, it says, the, the, the Gemara says that Boaz died that night. She conceived that night and Boaz died that night. And everyone at that time said, Boaz made a big mistake by marrying her. He wasn't allowed to marry her. She was a Moabite death. He wasn't allowed to convert in the first place. And it's all his fault. He died. But the truth is that we know the truth. His good things came out of that marriage. Obed and Yishai and eventually David. And that's why we read the story on the book of uh, Ruth on Shavuot. There's Radishem in the merit of Ruth, the merit of David Melech and his Tehilim. We shall be saved in safety and security in the land of Israel and around the world. Thank you all for attending. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.